baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. KCBS Radio, original podcasts. It's been an eventful couple of weeks in the tech and banking world, to say the least. Santa Clara-based Silicon Valley Bank collapsed this morning after a rocky couple of days. This is the largest U.S. bank to shut down since Washington Mutual fell during the 2008 financial crisis. Well, and the fallout has been causing waves across the U.S. financial landscape. Criticism of the San Francisco Fed and the Federal Reserve is mounting over the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. KCBS's Marky Schaefer reports one expert says there were some red flags. But wait, if you're scratching your head wondering what this all means, how we got here in the first place, and what role social media plays in all of this, you're not alone. From KCBS Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mallory Samara, and this is Bay Current. I am by no means a financial expert, but I know someone who is. I needed some help making sense of the drama surrounding Silicon Valley Bank, so I called upon my on-air colleague, KCBS Radio's Jason Brooks. We'll also get the chance to hear an in-depth conversation Jason had about social media's part in the meltdown with Tyler Stambaugh, co-founder and chief operating officer of a startup called Magnetic. So KCBS Radio's Jason Brooks, how are you? <laughs> Doing all right. It's been been quite a couple of weeks around here. Exactly. And that's why I'm here talking to you. Can you... You know, I am not necessarily savvy to the financial world, and I'm always willing to learn more. Um, so much has happened. Can you just give me like sort of a, a simple uh, breakdown of what's happened with Silicon Valley Bank? That is definitely a tall order, Mallory. There is really <laughs> nothing simple about any of this. And I think many people and many that cover the financial world in journalism have had to do a real deep dive on learning what all of this has meant. We're two weeks into this, and that's when Silicon Valley Bank initially told investors it was running into massive problems. It had to sell a huge amount of its mortgage-backed securities and treasuries at a $2 billion loss because its investments were not working out. It wanted to raise capital to cover that loss. It was unable to do so as a number of VC funds warned their startups to take their money out of the bank because they were going to lose it. And that comes down to the whole FDIC-backed deposits of $250,000. A lot of people, don't worry about that. You don't have $250,000 to put in the bank, but companies have millions of dollars. And while it's easy to say spread it out all over the place, when you're dealing with payroll, you don't want it split up into 30 banks. So a lot of companies had their money in Silicon Valley Bank. They started pulling it out of there under worries the bank would fail. They would lose the money that was not insured. Of course, we then saw massive intervention from the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve to insure those deposits above that amount. But we have only seen the banking crisis continue since then. Silicon Valley Bank was taken over by regulators. Signature Bank, uh, another bank that really just deals with a lot of crypto-based startups. Silicon Valley Bank has been dealing with venture-backed startups for four decades now. Uh, both those banks were taken over. 
Uh, depositors were protected. Shareholders were not. Mm. And that's kind of gotten us to where we are right now. And and it's also spiraled a number of concerns about other banks that have had heavy exposure to VC-funded startups. It also had a lot of their money parked in long-term treasury securities. It's a very safe bet, but interest rates on long-term treasuries have been very low. And the Fed over the past year has been raising interest rates. So short-term securities have gone up. And there's been a difference in yield that has made those longer-term securities not as valuable. That's been a problem for the banks. And then we've seen that occur with a number of West Coast banks. First Republic, PacWest Bank, Western Alliance have all seen massive share plummets over the past two weeks on worries. They will lose a lot of their depositors. Wow. Um, Now, the last time we had such a big financial crisis, 2008, social media wasn't where it is now. Um, you spoke with someone last week who sort of broke down where how social media played a part into this. Um, just briefly, how how has that changed things? This is absolutely fascinating. And, and there are so many different angles to this banking story. And, and one that really hasn't gotten a lot of play is the social media angle. And I mentioned earlier that a lot of VC funds, including Peter Thiel, had been telling their startups and their companies in their portfolios to pull their money out. Now, this would have taken a lot of phone calls 15 years ago <laughs> to get that word out. Now you could just go on Twitter yeah. or any other social media network, but mainly Twitter, put the word out there. These startups are all on there and they're going to react immediately. And the other difference between now and 15 years ago, uh, during the great financial crisis, the iPhone was a year old. Smartphones were very young. Not many people did their banking on a phone. You could do it in your computer, but you couldn't do it on your phone. Now you got your phone everywhere. You're always connected. And so the ability to get that word out on social media and for people to instantaneously make bank moves on their smartphones has really exacerbated this problem, especially for regional banks that are losing their deposits. Uh, PacWest Bank, based in Los Angeles, just disclosed that they've lost 20% of their deposits over the past three months. A lot of that occurring in the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank failure. Let's hear more about this topic. I'm turning the host mic over to Jason Brooks. The sudden collapse of Silicon Valley Bank is raising questions about the financial health of banks, the effect of regulators, the impact of VC funding, and the growth of Silicon Valley's vibrant startup community. All banking crises are unique, and this time, the role of technology is a crucial factor. I spoke with Tyler Stambaugh, co-founder and chief operating officer of a startup called Magnetic, about the role of social media in the SVB meltdown and the overall banking system. Tyler, tell us about your background and why it gives you a unique perspective into the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. At Magnetic, our focus is actually how brands uh, curate and create better communities through easy facilitation and activation of digital memberships for their consumers and supporters. It's a bit of a far cry from what I used to do um, for the last 15 years, actually. And I'll, I'll walk you through a little bit of what my background is in the financial industry. So I actually started my career out of college at JPMorgan Chase uh, in 08. In fact, my first day at JPMorgan Chase was the day that they acquired Bear Stearns legally, legal day one. Um, so all I've known for my entire banking career is uh, regulatory base, for the most part, that new regime. I started my career at JPMorgan Chase for about 75% of the time I was there. I worked at, in their corporate treasury department in their treasury uh, and liquidity risk section where we would uh, look at all of the balances and uh, liquidity position of the firm every single day and do regulatory reporting. From there, I actually moved on to Accenture where I spent four years doing CCAR regulatory capital stress testing 
um, at all of the largest banks and helping them build out this process that's supposed to um, apply stress tests and help prevent situations like this from happening. Um, and then I transitioned into a role where I became our North America lead for treasury and liquidity risk, pulling back on my JP Morgan experience, and then being a thought leader and applying that forward and helping our clients improve their systems, their processes, and their risk management around liquidity risk, um, things like uh, advanced deposit modeling and working on um, streamlining their liquidity stress testing as well. And so that's where I've got this very extensive background and almost intimate background with how these stress tests are conducted, the mindset around why the regulators put them in place in the context of 08. And given your experience in working with these stress tests, both in the banking side and, and also applying them from Accenture, did you think that something what just happened over the past week was possible given the requirements that the federal government has put on the banking system following the great financial crisis? No, it's it's really quite a it's it's really quite I don't want to call it, go so far as to call it a black swan, but um in 08, when they, uh, so we came out of 08 and then it took them a couple of years, but they developed the Dodd-Frank Stress Testing Act and all of these other requirements. Um, at the time, you really didn't have as powerful of social forces as you had with the way Twitter is now. Um, we were on our phones, but it wasn't to the same degree and that technology had not evolved in such a way. And even the ability to wire money for the largest institutions, you probably had a good um, relationship with your banker and you could go on the website, but the amount of um, technology that's been developed around digital banking and the speed at which we can do these transactions has gone up exponentially. None of that is accounted for. To give you a quick example, um, the LCR, which is the liquidity coverage ratio, which is supposed to, to understand if you have enough liquidity to handle stressed outflows over the next 30 days, it gets nowhere close to the amount of deposit withdrawal in a small period of time um, that we saw from SVB, because it's just not something that probably was even deemed operationally possible. Even WAMU, which was one of the largest bank runs in, in history, happened over the period of 10 days, just for context. Yeah, it seems like you know, when you look at the balance sheet, that even though Silicon Valley Bank was facing serious issues, taking a big loss on its uh, sale of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, uh, it, it seemed like it was possible it could be able to raise the money, but something went very wrong that Thursday for Silicon Valley Bank. What do you think happened? Yeah, so, I mean, when you look at their balance sheet, from a credit perspective, they were rock solid in terms of the capital, right? Um, those types of securities, the treasuries, the AGG mortgage-backed securities, they're deemed the safest possible by all um, capital stress testing standards. Everyone will talk about the credit mismatch and the unrealized bond gains, but you got into a situation where if you have outstressed outflows, and it's never an organized way, but in a way that didn't go down as contagion like it did, you would have the regulators take notice. They would step in. They would start talking to management. They would understand if there's any way that they can help to relieve some pressure, open up a window for them to be able to pull from and be able to manage the message. Um, the problem here was that it all happened so fast that there was no ability to communicate out current position, what steps were being taken. And before you know it, you wake up the next day and the run is complete, right? So, um, do you think it's fair to say this was the first social media fueled bank run in history? I think it's very fair to say. And I think one of the reasons I feel comfortable saying that is because social media, as we see it today, is in its major infancy. It, we haven't gotten to this level of 
social media vir virality, except for maybe the last six, seven years. And we haven't seen any bank runs since then, early significant enough to make news stories like this across the globe. And then we've seen spillover. A lot of regional banks, First Republic, PacWest, Bancor, Western Alliance, others are seeing <clears throat> deposits go out. Their stocks are tumbling. Uh, how do banks deal with this new reality of social media? Yeah, so I I started digging into a bunch of different bank social media accounts. Um, I noticed this back probably three, four years ago because um, I used to work at JP Morgan Chase. So I followed them on LinkedIn. And it was a lot of like, we're a great company to work for. Look at our ESG portfolio. Here's some tips and insights on, you know, wealth management, right? And that's all fine and good. But you don't really see a lot of proactiveness around like, hey, everybody who are constituents, even the lay person, here are financial results. This is how our bank works. This is why we feel like we're in a strong position. But don't use heavy jargon. Break it down in such a way that's that's accessible to people. You can explain a bank business model in a way that is very relatable to people without using terms like long duration bonds and interest rate swaps, right? Um, it's, it's about just making it palatable for people because I think part of what we saw with all of this and what we continue to see and what I saw through um, the activity on Twitter that was running through my profile is that there was a fundamental misunderstanding on what the most basic of bank business models do. And I think education is gonna be a really important point and you gotta meet people where they are and where people are right now and where they get a lot of their news it's from sites like Twitter, right? And so you have to account for that, I think, in the future. I think that touches on a very important topic and facet in all of this, the amount of disinformation that's on social media regarding banking. And not to put it out there, but obviously it is out there in some respect, the prospects for other players, foreign players, to get involved in this and perhaps cause problems in the banking system, just like with elections. Yeah, that's right. I mean, just to use myself as kind of a meta example, I was someone who had no real presence on Twitter, 220 followers to start the night on Saturday. I sat down on my computer, I typed up a thread based on my past experience, and lo and behold, it blows up and it gets 5 million views and is retweeted by some of the biggest um, people on the site. And the whole thing is, that's great because I was a good actor who had the past experience and could put out something that I can back up and you can check me on. But who's to say another small account that's able to just use the right language, connect with people, put some thoughts out there, and all of a sudden it gets elevated and there's no stopping it, right? And so that's where, as an organization, you need to have a presence in the arena to be able to combat those things. You need to have other people that you've brought with you along the journey to stand up next to you when you put this stuff out and help them combat those other messages. And SVB and a lot of banks do not have that capability right now. And just real quick, it stretches beyond banks. If you are any institution or company that has any sort of reputation that could be at risk, this is something that you should be thinking about within your organization in terms of how to um, foster that closer connection with the people um, that are your consumers. And riffing off of that a little bit, Tyler, we have seen a massive pullback, whether it be banks or any other industry. When it comes to customer service, there is an increasing focus on online, fewer in-person interactions. And now you have the prospects of more AI being built into all of this. Uh, do you think that we need to bring more people back into the mix for interactions and inter interfacing with customers? Or do you think there will be more of a focus on AI and we have to deal with whatever that comes about? I think that there needs to be a mix. Um, there's some, there's a really interesting rabbit hole we can go down on AI, but just coming back to the online experience, 
what I think we've morphed into the last 10 years is that the consumer and the online experience is not necessarily viewed as they were when they were the person coming into your store and talking to you. Um, we're more of just a set of eyeballs that they can sell bill of goods. And um, I think that there needs to be more solutions out there that help to create a more connected online experience. And that means making um, less surface level communication and more of that kind of interactive educational, maybe offer certain services to people that are more plugged in and reward people that are more engaged with you. So they can feel like they're coming along the journey online um, and create mechanisms to create that sort of, I don't necessarily want to use the term loyalty, um, but almost in a sense, like they're in the boat with you rowing um, as your advocate, as your fan, instead of just being um, essentially a product, right? Tyler, one final thought from you, uh, and going back to your past experience in dealing with the great financial crisis, uh, what do you think of the Fed's plan to save the depositors of SVB and Signature Bank, as well as its new facility for lending to any other banks that might be in trouble? Is this going to solve the current problem? I think it's going to put a stopgap in the hall, right, to stop the water from rushing out right now. But all it is to me is a time saver. And I think what needs to be really assessed and what I'm sure they're looking at in the background and in the back rooms is, okay, FDIC insurance, um, maybe that was used for primarily to stop retail people, but the, the backbone of America is small business. And so if they're also worried about it, do we raise that to some level? Do we fully insure everything? If we do that, what's the moral hazard of doing that from bank business models? And so I think this is a time to allow them to breathe, stop some of the contagion, um, do some oversight and then understand if there's any new policy or regulation they need to put into place or if they need to do something more drastic um, with respect to this. I do think it'll be a paradigm shift in banking, though. And finally, you know, what do you think? I mean, this is all very local, too. What do you think this could mean for the banking of tech startups in the future? It's an excellent question. And honestly, I don't think anybody has a great answer right now. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank occupied a, a very privileged position in that it worked with these startups. They relied on SVB for the past 40 years. The startups got a, a level of uh, interaction that they wouldn't typically get from the big banks. And the worry is that the big banks, your Wells Fargo, JP, uh, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, City. They will be the ones to benefit. They've got the massive protection, the too big to fail mantra from the federal government. And that's why you've got calls in Congress and elsewhere in the business world to ensure all deposits above $250,000. So these mid-sized banks don't see a massive withdrawal of their deposits because that lack of confidence in those banks will cause them to fail. And then you get simply you've got fewer banks, which means less competition and that tends to not be a very good thing for consumers or businesses. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anything else you want to add? Anything to to watch out for in the next uh, week, two weeks, <laughs> however long this takes? Well, that's that's a good question. And uh, a lot of it depends on the direction of the stock market, the Federal Reserve, interest rates, where all of that is going. Uh, we've seen moves overseas, also UBS stepping in to buy troubled Credit Suisse for $3.5 billion. I mean, that is... <laughs> It's a staggering discount on what Credit Suisse was worth just a couple of years ago. I don't think we've seen the end of this yet, and it really remains to be seen what the next shoe will be to fall. Well, thank you so much, KCBS Radio's Jason Brooks. I appreciate you taking the time to explain everything to me. It's been a pleasure, Mallory. <laughs> 
This episode was co-produced by KCBS Radio's Jason Brooks. You probably know this, but you can catch him at 24 and 54 of every hour, Monday through Friday on KCBS Radio, 106.9 and AM 740, or on the Odyssey app. Bay Current is a production of KCBS Radio. For more Bay Area stories, please subscribe to Bay Current on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 